Yo, 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 yo! Pop a 40 and check your rollies. It's crime time! Brooklyn, 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 Brooklyn! gonna be a fun episode you think we've already started here i almost did the brooklyn things as if i was eddie kingston brooklyn <laughs> brooklyn brooklyn yo all right that's the start of this episode i'm nick alexander joined by cracker ass tyler wood howdy <laughs> howdy <laughs> and we are of course here with yo 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 get some flint and zip your tent it's the man scout <laughs> Stand back, sir. <laughs> uh, somebody was waiting for this episode to happen to get these intros out. Like, have you heard our last episode? Very underwhelming. This one, extra credit was involved. Today, if you haven't noticed, is going to be uh, quite the episode. Uh, we're talking about, I'll get to this, but one of the most badass wrestlers of all time. Great tag team wrestler and a uh, dude whose legacy he left behind is that of a hero. And that is Shad Gaspard. This is another guy that was on WWE television when I was a young, young kid. I was in it was 2006, I was in sixth grade, enthralled. <laughs> With uh, with everything on WWE programming and Crime Time was actually at my first televised wrestling show. We'll get into it a little bit later, but oh, wow. man, just even at the time as a sixth grader, I knew this was insensitive. <laughs> but him and and JTG, they they took the gimmick that they were given most likely firsthand from Michael P.S. Hayes, and <laughs> they ran with it. They had great matches, and man, I had their action figures. They were the they were the coolest and. I'm excited to get to cover Shad. Maybe I'm insensitive. I don't know. I, I didn't see it the same way. And like, oh, this is an insensitive portrayal of people of color. I, I just felt like this was like a Chappelle show sketch. Because like, <laughs> I was not a, a sixth grader when this happened. I was a 20-year-old man who was a big fan of Chappelle show. And this just seemed like the wrestling version of it in some aspect. The first couple vignettes had that same vibe to it. So because I like that, I gravitated towards crime time as opposed to like oh well they're doing negative stereotypes i i just saw it as like this is just a character in a Chappelle show sketch and that's what i just i I loved about it and i to this day am adamant that this was like one of the biggest misses of wwe storytelling writing booking like if i'm gonna like 
indict them on fucking booking. Like we already went on where it was where wrestling died for me uh, <laughs> last episode. I think the WWE's ability to get people over and make people stars, crime time is, is that for me. Because they should have been much bigger than what they were. And there are a couple of times, which we'll probably discuss in here, where you could have pulled the trigger on these guys and, yep. and really done a lot with them. All right. Shaq Gaspard, who is of Curacao and Haitian descent, was born in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, January 13th, 1981. As a kid, Shad was a big fan of wrestling, growing up thinking it was legit, and he believed this well into his teens. He said he used to sit around and think about what would happen if wrestling champion Hulk Hogan faced boxing champion Mike Tyson. And I'm sorry to tell you, little kid Shad, uh, there would not have been an NWO because Tyson would have fucking killed him. (laughs) And Shad seems like the type who you would see on videos that you find on social media where like, you have guys, like, powerbombing other people in fights. I feel like Shad would definitely be one of those guys, if through fists, he's like, well, I'm just going to powerbomb this guy on the concrete, <laughs> or give him a belly-to-back suplex. Or, or like, you know, you see that, those, those ones where those little guys are getting a fight with the bigger dude, and the dude just picks him up and sidewalk slams him. <laughs> like, I feel like that was, that was Shad growing up. Shad's dad, Shad, if you will. Hi, this is Nick. I just wanted to interrupt this episode real quick and congratulate you on hearing the best joke ever. Back to the show. Would take him to, <laughs> uh, would take him to Madison Square Garden shows. So he got to see like Hulk Hogan, Coco Beware, the Bulldogs, Rocky Johnson, and Tony Atlas like in their prime in person. And that's pretty awesome. But he credits a February 13th, 1997 match where The Rock beats Triple H for the IC title, and this is Rocky Maivia, as the match that made him want to be a wrestler. But before getting into the biz, Shat did a little shoot fighting. He started boxing at 5, he was doing various martial arts at 8, amateur wrestling by 10, and as he grew into his 6'6", 285 body, he was a killing machine. I'll put Shad up there with Harley, Ming, and Rick Rude in that category of wrestlers who you do not want to fuck with. But see, like, every time that I met Chad, he always had the biggest smile. But sometimes those are the guys you have to worry about the most. Like, the nice guys. Those are the ones that could fuck you up. And the reason that they're nice is because they've been in a fight, they've been in multiple fights before, they've won a lot of fights, so they know what to do in a fight, and they're going to be nice to you because they don't want that type of interaction. They don't want to bring that evil out inside of them. Shad didn't have the chillest childhood coming up in Brooklyn back when it was still Brooklyn and not a bunch of vegan mayonnaise shops. He was a rambunctious young man, and I think he said he had a little run in juvie, At 16, he was kicked out of his parents' house, and that led to him living in a motel with his cousin in Atlanta, and it was this hotel that really kicks off the story of Shad. At this motel, he got into an altercation with a pimp. Shad slept with a lady without knowing that this motel was full of working gals. Later, that pimp comes by demanding money for riding his hoe train, But Shad is like, what are you talking about? I'm Shad Gaspard. I ain't got to pay for it. So the pimp pulls out a knife and Shad attacks him. During this scuffle, WCW wrestler and also a pimp. (laughs) This is the craziest fucking story. Uh, This this seems made up because I have heard the crime and sports podcast on Hard Body Harrison. Like about him having the hotel with the prostitutes in there. And 
I don't remember them referencing that Shad Caspar was staying in said hotel as in this this is where I get mailed delivered to. Holy shit, it's like worlds colliding right now. Continue with this craziness. So Shad is fighting with this pimp when WCW wrestler Hardbody Harrison is passing by and knocks Shad off of pimp number one. He just kind of handles the situation. They're right. None of this sounds easy. After (laughs) no, we no, like I heard what you did. Uh, So so to the nineties, and they're asking you never to do that again. After everything settles down, Harrison asks Shad if he fights. Shad says, yeah. And Harrison says, you fight for me now. A couple of weeks late. <laughs> it's, it's very what cinematic. The what the fuck? What guy? What? What? Hold on. Like, you are getting beat up by a fucking pimp. Another fucking pimp who's doing time of as being a pimp currently as we yeah. speak. <laughs> he pulls the other pimp off and looks at the guy who's getting the shit beat out of him and goes, you fight for me now. <laughs> like, that is... What the fuck are we talking about? <laughs> Hard body Harrison, now serving life in prison for his part in a sex trafficking and forced labor ring. So uh... Involving making a young 16-year-old fight. Say, so you fight for me now. Like, I mean, he had to, like, you always wonder, like, how does a pimp hold control over people? I, just being convincing, apparently. He made the 16-year-old to go fight for him, quote-unquote. Yeah, a couple weeks later, Shad is in a boxing tournament and wins his first match, and he's just a pup here. Because he he's... fucking has to! <laughs> yeah. He fucking has to! Hardbody Harrison will, like, will fucking end him if he doesn't win this match. Of course he won that match. Did he go undefeated the entire time he was fighting? Yes, absolutely, because Hardbody Harrison says, you fight for me now. Uh, yeah, and, and he's like a kid still, even though he's huge, but he's fighting grown-ass men. So from there... He's getting paid a couple hundred bucks a fight, and he's doing a lot of, like, these tough man competitions. I don't know if they're, like, still around, but there used to be, like, these flyers on phone poles that were like, You want to make $150, you fucking pussy? Come down to the Wada Wada and fist fight. Believe it or not, that's what Bobby Fulton and his brother Jackie, they promoted a lot of those tough man competitions. That's actually how they made a lot of their money. You'd think they're like, oh, no, uh you know, a wrestling family and we promote wrestling. They're like, nope, wrestling doesn't make jack shit right now. It's 2009 and 2010. Tough man competitions, though. That's where the real money is, kid. Hardbody eventually asked Shad if he wanted to work security in WCW. Not sure if it was like actual security or like, you know, extra talent type of thing. But um, being a Marky Mark, of course, he said yes. There he pulls an Italian stallion and Jake Manning and just fucking walks backstage where he gets to meet Kevin Nash, another thing Jake Manning would do. But this is his first first experience being like this close to pro wrestling. Well, I'm sure he was also like obviously big and huge and probably had a good body on him. So anybody that walks backstage would be like, I want to do this. Yeah. People are like, what's your name, kid? And yeah. I should talk to you. Whereas like if Tyler walked backstage and said this, they would have immediately kicked him out and called security and then beat the shit out of him as well, too. Actually, that's it's kind of... Do you guys remember the guy we had for a while on AEW that had the tattoos on his face? 
Mm-mm. You remember he was part of like mogul affiliates? Like maybe vaguely when they had Swerve because they had the the Parker Bordeaux guy, mm-hmm. and then they had the other guy with who was a big scary looking dude who was a minor league baseball player with tattoos on his face. Yeah, basically he showed up, and we we're like, oh okay, cool. You want to sign this contract? We'll teach you how to wrestle. <laughs> like we just did that. <laughs> Because he just showed up and said, I want to be a part of, of, of wrestling. And he was a big dude. And so signed him up and told me how to go to training and learn how. And then when he knew enough, we brought him out there. And then turns out he didn't know enough. <laughs> Tony Khan said, you wrestle for me now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think he was involved and said something similar to that. And that's how that happened. <laughs> Shad continued to fight for money throughout his early 20s. He also did some bodyguard work. He was a bodyguard for Mike Tyson. Who the fuck do you need to protect Mike Tyson from? Hard body Harrison, that too. Because <laughs> hard body Harrison's going to walk right in Mike Tyson in, in the eye and be like, you fight for me now. And Don King's like, fine, go ahead. All right, he's yours. We're in the early 2000s here, and if UFC was what it is today, which is basically WWE as far as like popularity, hosting massive events, and predetermined outcomes, there's a really good chance Shad is a world champion UFC fighter and never stepped into a pro wrestling ring. But that is not the case here, and if he hoped to make any real money off his abilities while like staying in America, he was going to have to go to pro wrestling. I mean, he just never ran into Dana White and Dana White looking right at him be like, you fight for me now. <laughs> I make all the money. I'm going to make a billion dollars off this pay-per-view in this gate, and I'm going to give you $50,000, and you're going to be like, I'm a UFC fighter. Yay! <laughs> So in 2002, while Shad was still doing some legit fighting and bodyguarding, he decided to give pro wrestling a shot. Apparently, he was originally going to be part of Tough Enough Season 2, but he failed a physical and wasn't allowed to compete. That's a Wikipedia fact. I'm always very uneasy sharing those. Uh, However, Tom Pritchard, one way or another, saw the 6'6", 285-pounder with good looks and charisma and thought, fuck that reality show, this guy's getting a spot. Shad would get some training from Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, or Dwayne Bruce, if you nasty. And from there, it was off to WWE's developmental territory at the time, Ohio Valley Wrestling, working as The Beast, debuting in 2003. And it looks like his first match was beating Rob Begley at an OVW house show. Nick, you're a big fan of OVW. Do you remember watching this? <laughs> yes. yes, I watched this. No, no, no. He he didn't watch this because he he's a fan of OVW when it became cool when Al <laughs> took it over. That's when he was a fan of OVW because he saw it on a Netflix series. That's when it was cool. <laughs> if you haven't seen the Netflix thing, it's very good. But I saw Al sitting there just stressed the fuck out, and I was like, I'm gonna buy a shirt. That motherfucker needs twenty five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Let me do a little sidebar, because I don't know when we're going to ever get a chance to talk about this. So, I think I told you guys about Al Snow and Vince Russo talking shit about my tent match on a podcast, right? Oh, I didn't know Russo was part of that. Yeah, Russo was a part of that. But I find it so fucking ironic that Al was shitting on the tent match when the whole existence of tent is basically a nod to him in head yeah (laughs) like i kind of got some of the ideas on how to do it because of him in head yeah that i went crazy and i think this inanimate object is real i got that from him i learned it from you dad i learned it from you okay so if you say i'm killing wrestling i learned it from you you should send some avails to ovw (laughs) 
I do not need that twenty-five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Following his debut, Shad was put into a tag team with Carlos Colon Jr., aka Carlito. Carlito and the Beast tagged up for about four months until Carlito was out of there. And then he t- then he tagged with Osama, and yes, it is as offensive as you think it is. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> that gimmick was hot at the time, man. <laughs> he also mixed in some Mike Mondo, Kenny Dykstra, and Ryan Wilson as partners. But he only has like a handful of matches in 03 and 04. Was OVW like uh, just like a weekends only? No, I mean, OVW is a full developmental. They would train all week long. Okay. I think they, they, would, they would record TV on Wednesday, and then they would do shows on the weekend where everybody was like the students that have to drive the ring truck and set up the ring and then wrestle wherever it is. So like, you would have basically training all week long, TV, and then you would have house shows where you have to set up the ring and wrestle in front of paid customers. Like it was, it was like a full on experience. It was, it was a good setup and NXT has expanded that and kind of kept that going as well too. Like they have their TV in the middle of the week. And then of course they have house shows and the heels are setting up the ring in the beginning and then baby faces are tearing it down or vice versa or however they do it. And they're running like the Hollywood Florida's on the Fridays and Saturdays and then doing TV during the week and the training. 2005, it's a lot more of the same for uh, the Beast, who's just getting his OVW reps in. But 2006, shit gets cooking. He starts working under his real name. He lost a OVW title shot to CM Punk. And then he started working in a tag team with <laughs> this fucking name. The Neighborhoodie. Yes. JTG. Just that gangster. <laughs> yeah. That's what it stands for? Yep. <laughs> it sure is. Oh. No, Jake, tell me again how this is a Chappelle show sketch. <laughs> I know uh, there, there are aspects to it that I hopefully they were okay with. That's all I have to say. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it. Well, and let's let's give a little background of JTG. I, I believe he was also a New York guy as well, too, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. And he actually migrated down to Charlotte, North Carolina, because Gene Legan, who I think he was one of the Thunderfoots, if I'm not mistaken, Gene Legan. Somehow he, he got connected with Gene Legan and sent Gene Legan some money to train him. He showed up to Charlotte and people were like, oh, Gene Legan doesn't have a school. Like he fell for like the oldest trick in the book where you pay somebody oh, no. to, tra- to train you and they fuck you over. The old Buzz Sawyer thing. And you know, he really didn't have a plan. He just showed up at this wrestling school because he paid this guy money for wrestling training. And the location he went to was like Colt Steele School, which was, oh gosh, I think it was off the plaza in Charlotte. But one Michael Bacchicchio, the owner of High Spots, trained there and met a young, impressionable JTG, was very nice to him and kind to him and tried to help teach him a little bit while he was there because everybody felt bad that this kid got taken by Gene Legan and they tried to help all they could and then the kid just disappeared. And he went off to OVW, got trained, and became a wrestling superstar. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't remember how Michael recognized him or they ended up, like, remembering that they had met each other years ago because when Crime Time got released, they went to that horrendous Cow Palace convention that, like, bombed horribly. Dave Meltzer was there and did a whole 
review how it was the worst wrestling convention of all time. <laughs> there should be a whole Patreon episode about how bad that convention was. But I'll never forget the big headliner was Crime Time because they had just gotten released like two weeks prior. And I remember Michael having this wonderful conversation with JTG, uh, catching up about old times when he was young before he went to OVW. And Michael was actually the one that suggested he should go to OVW originally. But he was like, hey, but if you want to go back home, there's plenty of wrestling schools. He was like, you probably drove by a dozen really good wrestling schools just to get to Charlotte, North Carolina. So I don't know why he thought this was the only place he could wrestle, but there's a, there's a place OVW, there's New York, and he picked OVW because he'd heard about it. So while Michael's having this wonder conversation with JTG, I'm listening to Shad tell me how his AMA knee pads blew apart and they were crap because our sweatshop in <laughs> Shalote, North Carolina didn't sew his knee pads properly. So I had to hear customer complaints while Michael is having a wonderful catch-up session with JTG, which is pretty much, if you wanted a story to sum up my time at highspots.com, <laughs> it's that. I have to deal with the brunt of unhappy customers while Michael's off reminiscing with somebody or having a good time and a nice conversation about, oh, you were a good guide to me once while not dealing with the fact that quality control is not your best suit. JTG and Shad, as the gang stars, won the OVW Tag Team titles May 27th, beating Casey James and Roadkill, holding them until July 28th when they dropped them to CM Punk and Seth Skyfire. However, after a couple more months in developmental, it was time to go to the main roster. And on September 4th, 2006, Monday Night Raw, we got our first ever vignette for Crime Time. So... Crime time, guys. <laughs> um. Welcome to Three White Guys on a Podcast talking about sensitive race stuff. The show where three white guys on a podcast talk about sensitive race stuff. And here's your host, the man scout Jake Manning, Nick Alexander, and Tyler Wood. Three white guys in a podcast talking about sensitive race stuff is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Surface level, crime time is problematic, but once you pull back the layers of the onion, yeah, uh, it's 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 less problematic. I yeah, guess. they stole things and sold them immediately. <laughs> Listen, I like I said I felt like a Chappelle's show sketch to me, like every time. It was always some goofy-looking white person they were screwing over. Uh, Hey, you keep Trevor Murdoch's name out of your fucking mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to bounce between good and bad things here. Okay. Okay. Justify my thinking, because I can't have have some motherfucker from Eastern Carolina think I'm the fucking problematic one. Do you know how close to Asheville I live now? Do you understand (laughs) how progressive I am? Yo, 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 yo. (laughs) First off, there's the good old power dynamic of pro wrestlers more or less being powerless once they reach this level, having to do exactly what they're told, or they're going to lose their spot back down to OVW or the Indies or whatever. That's always rattling around, whether you're talking about something racial or like the divas having to strip. That's always that's always there. But I will quote uh, a 2020 quote. I'll paraphrase uh, a JTG interview from 2021. The way Vince explained the gimmick to me, it made a lot of sense. I bet it didn't. I bet it didn't. (laughs) I bet bet that sounded racist. I bet you fixed it and and it was fine. Don't give Vince the credit. Like, well, one, he explained it. No, he explained it shitty and you made it less shitty. 
I wish we got him quoting Vince as to exactly how Vince said this. <laughs> so more or less, Vince's idea here was he wanted to take this very stereotypical gimmick and flip it. He wanted to see these thuggish guys coming out, but they're having fun. They're actually faces, and they just wanted to take the stereotype, flip it on his head. But here's another point for Tyler. The writers were, of course, white because WWE. So they're so out of touch that they had to use Urban Dictionary to even attempt to write for Crime Time. One time, they wrote that Crime Time should eat fried chicken and dance which is obviously awful and they were actually obviously actually really offended but they took it kind of like bumped it up a level to snatch the creative control out of the dumb fuck writer's hands so there's like a certain point here where jtg and shad are kind of calling the shots for themselves another point i think for jake shad is legit as badass as they come he also had zero fear of Vince. He spoke to Vince like an equal, not some kind of god king of wrestling. If Shad did not want to do this, you better fucking believe he would not do this. And that made Vince's dick half hard all the time. <laughs> Talk mean to me. I like it. You're yelling at me. Dominate me if you wanted to. I love it. Also, too, was this about the time that Stephanie was also doing a lot of writing? Because I would love to look over Stephanie's shoulder and see her, like, Googling Urban Dictionary for stuff. <laughs> White as the driven snow, Stephanie McMahon. <laughs> Stephanie McMahon, who is the daughter of a billionaire who grew up in Connecticut writing for Shad and JTG. <laughs> I want that as some sort of summation. If I may have the floor for a moment. I think Jim Johnston, famous WWE theme writer, did a great job of summing this up. And we've read through a little bit of the Crime Time intro music to start the show. I would just like to go through a couple more verses, if that's all right. Do we have the time for that? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Wonderful. Hey, yo, no more Hollywood. This is Hollyhood. And it's Crime Time. Be scared? You probably should. We come from the streets. I was raised in the gutter. I run up your mother for that bread and butter. Mess around with these crooks. Get your property took. Robbing is my job. I get paid off the books. <laughs> Marveling with my quad. Coming through stomping. Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Who wants some problems? I don't. That one doesn't rhyme. <laughs> I could care less about a copper. They call me the copper stopper. If you want something proper, no need to pack your bags, no need to move, because no matter where you go, we're bringing the hood to you. That's verse one. Let's get into verse two. <laughs> uh, verse two, I think, is just that little bit better. Once upon a time, it was nice and quiet. Then along came the hood, inciting riots. I don't give a damn about a neighborhood watch. I'll take your watch while the neighborhood watch. That's bars. That one's pretty good. <laughs> I'm a rugged individual, hardcore criminal. I bring it to man, woman, and children too. Yeah, I know you heard me. I'm the one responsible for them burglaries. I got 12 misdemeanors, three felonies, countless victims yelling, help me please. Oh, no. <laughs> Jesus. But no matter what you say, no matter what you do, it don't matter where you at, we're bringing the hood to you. And that's the end of the second verse. <laughs> All right, that's not great. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they are taking accountability for their actions. Like, they're, so I, I committed those crimes. I, mean, I, 
There's definitely that aspect to it. There's a lot of ownership of of blame. I, I feel like that's a redeeming quality of this. But okay, so take all that. Point Tyler, just say point Tyler. Thank you, thank you. But at its core, though, all that, even that, even that, uh, is supposed to be parody and satire. And Shad directly referenced in Living Color, which I guess, Tyler, this is like the Chappelle show before Chappelle show. Oh, I know. Jim uh, Carrey's the, on it. I know. <laughs> yes, you know the white guy. <laughs> oh, the white guy. Everybody knows the white guy. There was a lot of really good stuff. And in fact, I just heard a podcast that actually in Living Color was the first example of labeling Michael Jackson as a child molester mm, yeah. in pop culture. So they were like way ahead of their curve on a lot yeah. of things. Homie, do Most play that. <laughs> yes. But there's this thing called the Homeboy Shopping Network, which was kind of like this exaggeration of these characters. He saw it as like a, a reference to that. They pulled stuff from Bernie Mac, 50 Cent with the vest, yet the grills with Nelly, LL Cool J, Soldier Boy. But aesthetically, it, it doesn't look great because, you know, wrestling fans, we're going to hang around. We're going to see the nuances, the satire, the characters that are fun and funny and silly. But to like a person just kind of like flipping channels, stumbling on crime time, stealing a car, it's like at worst a bit damaging to a culture or like confirming racist beliefs and at best it's just like another fucking thing wrestlers and wrestling fans have to like explain a way to defend the art. Yeah, that's terrible, but it's really great when a white guy does it, and his name's John, John Cena. Cena. <laughs> <laughs> I brush your mouth like Colgate. Just sort of get your closing arguments on, on the crime time gimmick, and let's move on and talk about what they did. <laughs> I, I think uh, I'm going to rest my case. I absolutely loved watching them, though. Yes, same. Him referencing in Living Color, the Homeboy Shopping Network, I remember that, and maybe that's why it resonates with me, because I know the exact reference that they're pulling from. So maybe that's why I see it as them doing satire, and I'm still very naive when I'm first watching this. I don't have the inkling that these are writers handing these people a script and telling them what to do. Like, it was jarring for me to see Freddie Prince Jr. hand Fit Finley a script when I was an extra talent one time. That was the most surreal thing I've ever seen before in my life. So definitely at this moment in time where I'm watching, I don't know that, that that is a thing that happens. I feel like these guys, they just turn on the camera and they talk. So everything that I feel that they're saying, they have signed off on. Yeah. And uh, it coming from them and not Stephanie McMahon and whatever she Google on Urban Dictionary <laughs> earlier in the day on her nice little version one MacBook or whatever it was called at the time, that daddy bought for her. I do wholeheartedly believe whoever came up with this gimmick was tone deaf, (laughs) and it was not done for the right reasons in the right way. I do believe... Dude, 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 what are you trying to say? (laughs) (laughs) What are you trying to say, motherfucker? I'm saying you need to cut your fucking ponytail. I'm a a television fucking writer for decades. How fucking... Dare you. You know how much money I drew in your goddamn town? I've made so much fucking money. I have had sex with everyone. I may be your father. You show me some goddamn respect and give me the nucks, bro, as I deserve as a fucking wrestling legend. Listen, I'll say you did a great job with the Bray Wyatt tribute, but um, how often do you have black people over to your house for dinner? They are overcooking my dinner every night. Every single night. 
I do think that that JTG and Shad did take it. I like Nick. I I love the way that you put it. Like they took it out of the writers' hands, and they're like, "We're going to play this like it's a sketch on Chappelle's show or in Living Color." And I think that's what they did, and I think that's why so much of it shone through so well. And it's it's a great example of people getting a shit gimmick over. Yeah. So I win. I win. I I had to do the most racist impersonation of, or just the most accurate Michael BSA's impersonation to get us there. But that's what I did. I win. No, I'm not going to say it wasn't a racist gimmick. I'm just going to say that they fought racism with comedy, which I think is one of the best ways to do it. All right. So these vignettes, September 4th, which show crime time robbing a smoothie place, trying to be... <laughs> Trying to beat their best time for a robbery, which is that's kind of funny. I still won the argument. Just remember, I ever still won the argument. Uh, the next week, the next training video would be when you a honky training, gets lo- training video. Yeah, they call they, them training videos because they're teaching people what <laughs> how to how to do what <laughs> to act act in the hood. Uh, oh, okay, I got you. All right, so. <laughs> Uh, the next week, they the, a honky got lost in the hood, so they, they beat him up and took his wallet. Uh, the next week, they're playing dice when a white guy in a minivan stops and asks if he knows the way to the country club, so they beat him up and steal his minivan. On uh, September 25th, uh, before a promo, they were like, how can we make this more racist? They showed Toby Keith in the crowd. But for this vignette, a white guy is straight bugging by using the ATM machine, so they uh, chat kicks him in the face and takes his buddy. Uh, October 2nd, they approach a black cop, slap his coffee out of his hand, and steal his donut and run away. And then the final vignette before they debut, they're shown working out with a white lady, not as a jump partner, but like they're overhead and bench pressing her. So... That is your introduction to crime type. Love it. I love it. That's what I do. I love it. That's great. Vince, tell me if I'm wrong. Are you not the only person ever, I think, white or black, to have said the N-word on WWE television? What's good in the hood? Listen, I'd be saying it to this day if they'd let me go out there. But... <laughs> I walk with a cane now, so it's a little tough for me to get out there. But trust me, I still got an N-word locked and loaded, ready to go <laughs> whenever to put a camera on me. All right, so now we can finally get to some crime time wrestling. They made their in-ring debut October 16th on Raw, facing tag champions, the Spirit Squad, rep by Mikey and Johnny in a non-title match. I honestly thought Lawler would make a racist joke before they even got to the ring. Not a single racist joke, so good for you, Jerry. Their debut's a fun match. I forgot like how good they are in the ring. Like They have this very unique and super cool moveset. JTG's not like a small person, but I, I'm always a mark for the bigger little guy dynamic. And I think some people may not know, JTG wanted to be like a straight-laced, work-rate brother, pro wrestler. He was a... He who shall not be named. Guy, you know, he wanted to go in that direction before, you know, crime time was handed to him. Very underrated wrestler and probably did about 10% of what he could actually do during this run. But Shad and JTG together in the ring, phenomenal. Crime time gets a nice little push out the gate. They add two more wins against the Spirit Squad on Raws. Uh, They're getting full-time work on house shows. They get onto their first pay-per-view at Cyber Sunday 06 in a four-team Texas Tornado match. This is very much the time of WWE where they were like, oh, fuck, we hired too many people. Let's just cram 17 tag teams into a 10-minute match. 
Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch were in this one, right? For this specific one, for sure. I think also the yeah yeah so it's uh Kate and Murdoch and then the Highlanders are the ones who uh take the cover and they take the cover from Kate and Murdoch's finisher they like sneaky throw them out of the ring and then pin the Highlander dude oh that yeah yeah, yeah. this also had the very weird team of Charlie Haas and Viscera yeah that's why I asked about him because that that team made no sense whatsoever <laughs> as someone watching at the time the tag team division was terrible at this point. Crime Time were the stars by and far. Yeah. And then you have like them getting into it with their mortal enemies, Rednecks, Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch. <laughs> That's uh... <laughs> Crime Time gets the win here. And after the match, Shad and JTG go over to celebrate with King and JR. Turns out it was just a ploy to steal King's laptop. And I'm going to go ahead and say, you do not want to get caught with Cherry Lawler's laptop. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is for sure. Uh, yeah, that that laptop is dirty and it is not finger looking good. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a callback from a previous episode, yeah, don't. Uh, that's worse than getting caught with a Jared from Subway's laptop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Crime Time kept their perfect record intact going into '07, getting pay per view wins at '07's New Year's Revolution in a tag team turmoil match against the world's greatest tag team, Highlanders. Caden Murdoch, Jim Duggan, and Super Crazy. And this earned them a shot at the world tag titles that I don't think they ever got to cash in, but we'll, we'll get to that. Let's not forget about the time when Super Crazy teamed with Hacksaw Jim Duggan just so they could go, see, ho, see, ho, see, ho. Just WWE's creative at, at its fucking finest. Lost to Highlanders, super over. You have Roddy Piper coming out with them and putting them over because they have kilts on. And then one guy just happens to go see one of his friends in Impact Wrestling. They put him on camera and then he's immediately fired because <laughs> that's what you know you can do when you are an evil, spiteful billionaire, I guess. Uh, I want to take a, a slight detour here, a little pit stop, and just reminisce about how uh, Super Crazy was. I think this is how he was brought in. Um, does anyone want to argue the merits of the Mexicals? Welcome! No, absolutely not. <laughs> okay. You actually 100% on that? All right, fantastic. Um, nope, nobody's going to argue with you there. That's that. Uh, I remembered it the same way that you remembered it. <laughs> Crime Time suffered their first TV loss January 29th, 07, against the world's greatest tag team. Uh, not quite a clean loss, but first dent in the armor. By March, the team added heats to their schedule, so mostly staying busy on those and house shows. And, oh, Jesus Christ. At WrestleMania 23, Crime Time popped in for a dance party segment with Eugene. There was uh, Moolah, <laughs> Bay Young, Slick, Dusty Rhodes, Brooke Tessmarker. That's her name, right? Tessmarker. Yeah. Uh, Layla. I think Kelly Kelly was the blonde. Sergeant Slaughter, IRS, Fink, Mean Gene. Wait, 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 are Dragon you just going to gloss over Extreme es Expose like that, Nick? That Those three, Kelly Kelly, Layla L. It was L. Kelly Kelly. Okay. Yeah, right. Kelly right. Kelly, Layla L, and... Brooke Tessmacher, they were the extreme expose on ECW at the time. Am I right, Jake? Uh... Yeah, you're right. And I can't believe that you of all people, <laughs> you're like, you're like, you know what? We don't, hey, let's, let's look at this crime time gimmick as insensitive and disrespectful, but extreme expose. Ooh, yes. <laughs> titties, 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 Dude, titties, I, titties. I was so convinced I was going to see some titties one Tuesday on sci-fi. I was so convinced. It never happened. <laughs> Told you, season to Tyler Wood. There you go. <laughs> 
July 07, Crime Time made this like kind of random return to OVW to win their tag titles, dropped them right back off, traded them with the James boys. On the August 27th episode of Raw, Crime Time stole Murdoch's hat and gave it away to a fan. I was in the room for this. It was at the Crown Coliseum, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Also saw Cody Rhodes in a dark match. It was something I will never forget, and I'm so glad Crime Time was a, a part of that memory. It, it was a really cool thing. I just wish it wasn't so racist, because my grandma was there, and she was like, I knew it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> However, on September 2nd, 07, Shad and JTG were both released from their WWE contracts. So the story here, it, this is just a clusterfuck. So Caden Murdoch played a prank on Crime Time when they went off script and walked out of a match. The ref was possibly in on it because he gave him like a quick count. So Crime Time was supposed to go over here, yet it's like this lame count out. So, you know, that, that kind of left Shad and JTG in this awkward spot. A real douchey thing to do, especially since Murdoch is like, I'm a wrestler from the 50s. So Crime Time hits their finish on the ref. They stole his belt, tried to sell it to the crowd, just trying to like not leave on this like flat crowd reaction. This, for some reason, got Crime Time fired, but not Cade and Murdoch, who did the shit. Trevor Murdoch and CM Punk are the two people that Harley Race gave this business to. So you put some fucking respect (laughs) on his name, Nick. From what I get, they they were, like, mad at them for, like, quote-unquote, going into business for themselves, which doesn't seem... I I don't know, man. Uh, I mean, like, Vince had to stop sexually assaulting an employee to come deal with this. (laughs) And they got fired. Allegedly. Um, allegedly on that day. On that day, on allegedly. That day, okay, allegedly. On that, on that day, allegedly. But yes, other days, but definitely. Without a shadow of a doubt, in a court of law. Roy McAllister of the Highlanders did like a, a quick interview about this. And he was also like, what? Like the escalation and the overreaction was just totally uncalled for. Yeah, and it was like very like abrupt. That's back when like people get released and they put you on the front page of WWE.com to shame you. Like <laughs> we have come to terms and we have released these people. Now you have to like look for the dirt sheets and, yeah. or look on somebody's Twitter account being for somebody to say, I am no longer with WWE. These are where I will be taking bookings. Like you gotta do that. Like WWE doesn't even put a press release out anymore. Back in the day, it was WWE.com. Crime time has been released. Good luck in your future endeavors. Fuck you. Like. Dude, that's how you know you fucked up when they put you on the front page and they left out the future endeavor part. You're like, oh man, that yeah. guy. Holy <laughs> shit. That was a thing too. That's right. I forgot that people are like, oh, he didn't get good luck in your future endeavors. He just said release. Mm-hmm. Oh, he really fucked up. <laughs> Nowadays, the only way you know if WWE released somebody is if AEW signs them. <laughs> True. I mean, I'm waiting for Dolph Ziggler to walk through the door. I'm really, I'm look, I'm looking forward to it. I anticipate it. I'm, I'm excited for it. I don't know about you guys. That's so much of when Matt Riddle walks through the door. I'm, I got mixed feelings. Uh, I, are you sure you can find the place? Him? Yeah, Matt Riddle. Uh, it's a, all I know is he's gonna get accosted by a TSA agent on the way there. That's all I know. <laughs> After being released, Chat took a few indie dates. He took a dive against Psychosis at Pro Wrestling Alliance uh, September 22nd in Texas. Crime Time reunited at a Jersey All-Pro show October 27th, and they beat the Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. And then, just out of fucking nowhere again, on March 31st, 08, they were back on Raw. So, weird firing, but I guess not the end of the world. They returned as crime time to a nice little pop. You can't say enough how over they get themselves during their run. And they uh, beat Cade and Murdoch with a sneaky little roll-up. 
you're not going to see this again. And let's make a, a broader conversation here. Why it's important not to have wrestling monopolies. Like, they fired Crime Time to teach them a lesson. Much like they fired Daniel Bryan. Mm-hmm. They fired one of the Highlanders because he, you know... Was at a TNA show. At a TNA show. And they're like, well, we'll bring you back if we fucking feel like it. And, or if you've learned your lesson. And they could just do that. And these people are like, they don't have a way to make a living as a wrestler anymore. You don't see that shit anymore. I wonder fucking why. Because yeah. if you fire them now, they'll appear in somebody else's program. And then what if they find out that they actually have talent and they can do something with them. And they get over on somebody else's program. And you had this person in your building and you didn't do shit with them. So you might have to fucking try and you can't take away people's fucking dream just to quote unquote, teach them a fucking lesson. I think it was already at this point. It must've been because I think the DX run ended like 2008. There's a funnel vignette that DX is banned from raw. Cause this is prime fucking with events, like impersonating him, like taking over uh, the production truck while he's talking all this DX gets banned from Monday night raw. So the old cliche, they got to buy tickets, but Raw's sold out. How are they going to buy tickets? Don't worry. Crime time is scalping them. (laughs) And they, for some reason, DX has a big briefcase full of money. I don't remember why, but they, they take, they're in Canada because I remember it's it's Canadian money. They take the the money out and Sean is supposed to do the handoff with Shad. And they're like, same time, same time. I don't know you, same time. (laughs) And they switch it off. They're like, all right. Sean's like, good doing business with you fellas. And Shad's like, yeah, take it easy. And Triple H leans back as they're walking away. He looks at him, gives him the thumbs up, and goes, for shizzle. (laughs) With the hype of the return, with the sheer overness that they've earned, Crime Time started working with John Cena. June 30th episode of Raw, Cena is cutting a promo about Fruit Loops or whatever the fuck when JBL walks out and says, I'm a mediocre wrestler and a terrible person who wrote the coattails of Ron Simmons. As uh, Cena escorted out by security but later that night jbl is facing fellow asshole cm punk for the big gold belt your words not mine your (laughs) words not mine cena and crime time run to ringside to fight the extra talent security guards this distracts jbl who is then uh hit by a go to sleep original move handcrafted by phil brooks Mm. and jbl loses that breaks out into chaos and uh sorry folks we'll see uh on thunder (laughs) following week (laughs) on raw Cena, Shad, and JTG fuck up JBL's limo with baseball bats, spray paint. Scott Hall killed a guy for that. So they tag the limo with CTC, which was supposed to be a stable of Crime Time C Nation. But it's very short-lived and like barely dove into because just a handful of weeks later at SummerSlam, John herinated a disc in his neck during his match with Batista, and he was out. You know, that was over. Man. And you have to think Man. that fucks things up for them right yeah fuck yeah it did i remember watching this time like i said i liked crime time but it, it just that thing hadn't happened to get him over i remember them destroying jbl's car and then it was like it clicked with me i'm like oh fuck john cena and crime time this is fucking great like it fits i thought it was the most amazing thing ever there could have been so many really cool things they could have got a three-person stable to go, go against them. 
And it could always be a situation like John Cena's, you know, down, but, you know, crime time's always got his back. Or it's a situation of a manager's, you know, fucking over crime time. John Cena comes out and backs them up and helps them win the tag titles. Like, it could have been something that you could have saw Cena with the world belt and crime time with the tag belts and getting, like, the rub from all of that. And mid-2000s, late-2000s, John Cena, as over as that machine was, them being a part of that. Man, that that is one of the biggest what ifs, and what a fumble! Hey, welcome to late two thousands WWE. <laughs> oh, I I know. Like, and then once this things it was seen, it didn't happen. They just like, well, we have no other ideas for you. Sorry. Um, do 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 do. Goodbye. Sorry, guys. As opposed to like, well, let's kind of keep you guys going, and then maybe we can come back to this because we're always gonna have John around. Nope. Fuck it. Let's just blow it up and move on. People always wonder why some people are so hardcore AEW or at least anti-WWE. It's because those people didn't grow up watching this shit and just having (laughs) every great thing that they did. Every once in a while when they finally found a, a nugget of gold in the pile of shit that was an average year of programming for WWE, they'd fuck it up for the most part. Anything that wasn't established, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, John Cena, Randy Orton, Edge, they couldn't build new things, and they fucked them up on the regular, bar none. And I also want to give a shout-out. JBL is a giant piece of shit, but I think JBL's limo is in the running for best supporting vehicle in pro wrestling history. <laughs> That's a good point. Because I think DX went on to do some stuff. To, I'm pretty sure someone either took a shit or like put shit in the back of the limo at one point, too. Like That thing was just beat all to hell. I think Eddie did some shit with it, too. Mm. That car should be in the Hall of Fame. It's actually sometimes you see it at Fan Access, so I'm not mistaken. Okay. You, definitely, really? you definitely see the limo that uh, Vince blew up in. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely at Fan Access one year. But yeah, when something in the booking happens now, like, they're fucking in the sub. Oh, I can't believe they're doing this. It's like fan PTSD yep. as opposed to, okay, well, the baby face has to be in some sort of peril to then come back up. You know, like we can't accept normal storytelling like that anymore, that there's dips and flows in the story because WWE hasn't earned the right to fucking be given that credit or that leeway as a storyteller because of this entire fucking run right here. And anybody that lived it, watched it, has that PTSD. And they're just doing it all over again with the whole Cody thing. You know, no, like, it's a four year epic. <laughs> now, Vince is going to fucking he's going to pull the plug on it at some point. Absolutely. Now, let's get Goldberg back. I like Goldberg. <laughs> Dude, it's like they go over to Saudi Arabia, what, three, four times a year, however often they go. And they had the prince asking them. He's like, yeah, I want Yokozuna. I, I, I want big <laughs> boss, man. He's just asking for all these people that are dead. And I assume Vince is just in the fucking writer's room every once in a while asking about people that have long since retired, are dead, he never had there in the first place. If they actually come around and put a button on that Cody thing, I'll think about forgiving them for some of the shit I went through, but I will not hold my breath. I mean, they created another belt for him to win, so... And then they're going to say, he finished the story, he finished the story, he finished the story, when... No, it's not what happened. And then he can go back to AEW because he's a mole for Tony Khan. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Well, that is a perfect segue because the next feud for Crime Time would be with Ted DiBiase Jr. and the Cody Rhodes. Ted's dad is pretty obvious, but did you know Cody's dad was Dusty? Huh. 
think he'd mention that in the promo sometime. One of these guys is uh, bad with money and the other's Ted Jr. (laughs) (laughs) They'd end up at 08's Unforgiven Pro Wrestling for the tag titles. You know, it's a pretty good match back and forth. We get another little sneaky uh, pin spot when JTG has Cody rolled up, but Ted like pushes the leverage so that uh, Cody's on top and the ref doesn't see it. One, two, three. That ref was trying to (laughs) fuck on me. At uh, Survivor Series 08, JTG and Shad were part of HBK's team with Rey Mysterio and Great Khali beating JBL, Kane, John Morrison, MVP, and The Miz in an old-school-style Survivor Series match, although Crime Time was eliminated first like a horror movie. (laughs) Despite clearly being a fan favorite and getting, like, huge reactions, not much happening after this. A lot of house show work as they went into 09. April 15th, 09, Crime Time were drafted to SmackDown. They made their debut May 1st on SmackDown, hosting a dance contest between Eve Torres and Layla. And Eve and Layla were actually like professional dancers before WWE. Eve was a dancer cheerleader for the Lakers. Layla was a dancer cheerleader for the Heat. Mm -hmm. So they're actually like dancing here, not just hula hooping and pudding while Lala Rage screams his Viagra boner out. Why do you think they host so many dance competitions? What do you mean by they? <laughs> Check. Uh, good, good comeback, Nick. Good comeback. <laughs> the team makes their in-ring smacketh down debut May 22nd when they added John Morrison to the team to beat the world's greatest tag team and Ricky Ortiz in a six-man. They'd beat the Hart Dynasty to become number one contenders for the unified tag belts, and that sent them to 09's SummerSlam to face Jericho. Just to be like a broken record, undeniably over, fun match. They don't win, albeit not 100% clean. So it's just like, same thing. Full circle, super over, no success. So they definitely, what, what's about to happen in a little bit definitely should not have happened. I will play devil's advocate for a small part here. Jericho was really good at the time. Mostly Jericho, I would say. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, this was, better, yeah. better than it had any right to be. Correct, correct. That smash-up theme did a lot to help him, but uh, (laughs) it's not the case of like, well, you know, when they're in the feud with uh, the Highlanders and Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch, you know, why are they not on top there? That's a total valid point. Over uh, Jericho, I think that was one where it's like, okay, I can see why they didn't win that, but it sucks that it did not come back around at any point. Following that... They had a feud with Heart Dynasty. They met up with Jarrah's show from time to time. In April of 09, the show WWE Superstars had popped up, so Crime Time started getting some dates there. And I wish there was more to talk about, but there really isn't. Like, WWE is clearly not putting the rocket ship on them. Anytime something cool happens, it's like, hey, go to Heat, go to Superstars, do house shows. And as a wrestler who is working as a wrestler to pay the bills and just loves to tour and perform, that's fine. Like you're doing the job, you're getting paid for it, yada, yada. But if you're talking about like leaving a legacy, carving out your place in wrestling history, being an all-time great tag team, they're not being allowed to achieve that despite having the tools to do so. And they kept being told that they weren't doing things like winning the tag belts because they don't need the belts to get them over. They're over. But at the same time, okay, so then why does Hogan and Cena always have to have the belt? Surely they don't need a belt to be popular. So it's just uh, it's just kind of a yucky feeling. 
By the tail end of 09 and heading into 2010, they popped up on a few more SmackDown tapings. And then April 2nd, 2010 on SmackDown, things changed quite a bit for Crime Time. They lost this very quick match to R-Truth and John Morrison. Like it's about 60 seconds, Shad catches a Starship pain from John, and JTG doesn't even get tagged in. After the match, the two are frustrated. Shad ends up beating and turning on JTG, splitting the team with Shad becoming the bad guy. So Shad took the pinfall there? 60 seconds into a match and he takes a sharp starship pain. How is he taking the... I mean, if it was JTG, I'd understand more, but Shad's fucking huge. He's He's got size on John Morrison by a lot. Well, and also, too, like, it, if you want Shad to be this big beast, this killer, because that's where you're trying to get him to... Why do you want him to take the pin? Exactly. You know, when he should be mad at, you know, JTG, like, ah, oh, you've been holding us down. Clearly a smaller dude. I, yeah. If I, if I would have got in there, I would have beat his ass. But How do you have, no, if you had all this energy to beat my ass, you should have kicked out of the fucking three count. <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm. It's bad when somebody can poke holes in yeah. your fucking story mm-hmm. in a matter of 30 seconds and anybody with a reasonable fucking brain goes, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why that why they did that. Yeah. That time in SmackDown 2010 was so stacked with talent, too. Like, crime time, great tag team. John Morrison at that time and R-Truth bad, yeah. at that time. Oh, yeah. my God. Otherworldly. There was just so much talent being thrown around. And left and right and center, they were fumbling storylines and fucking everything up. And that leads into... The next year where it feels like things kind of get turned around, but it sucks that these guys came into WWE when they did and they didn't give the proper chance to get over that they should have had. You know whose storylines you can't poke holes in and and they are always good? Al Snow in OVW. Very good booker. Very good payoff guy. I hear he has a lot of good opinions on podcasts. You know what's having holes poked at it right now? My soul with Jake's eyes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. A good payoff, man, you say. You you know what the going rate is for... for Oh, no, no, not money-wise. Like, like the story Uh, payoffs. The story payoffs. Oh, the story payoffs. Good finish guy. Maybe that's Because that pays your bills. That pays your bills at the end of the day when you're a wrestler there. Okay. Listen, Hollywood Haley is not hurting for money. Yeah, she, from what I understand, she just did WWE tryout. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, yeah along with uh, Richard Holiday, Jay Malachi, mm-hmm. and then, of course, some fucking goober who is a Queens University wrestler, amateur wrestler, because he got in on his athletic background, not you know having any wrestling talent and somebody who dedicates their life to it. Some fucking schmuck named Copeland Barbary hmm. had no fucking place being there. At least that's what the internet will tell you. Because that's actually Lucky Ali. Oh, is that Lucky Ali? You stupid motherfuckers. <laughs> I was so mad when they listed a fucking resume and a half for fucking everybody. And then Copeland Barbary, former amateur wrestler at Queens University. And then the entire internet shitting on Copeland because, oh, they just somebody with athletic background that doesn't care about wrestling. He'll probably get pushed right up to the top of NXT. He fucking should, because he's the most fucking talented person on this entire fucking list of people, except maybe Finley's kid, Mm -hmm. who also did the fucking tryout. So, go fuck yourself, internet. (laughs) If you haven't figured it out by now, you glazed over probably the most talented person doing a WB tryout. 
and just belittled him and talked shit about him. To which I then made fun of uh, old Lucky Ellie on text message uh, when I found out about it and laughed hysterically <laughs> about it because I'm that mean of a friend. Dude, Lucky Ali is good. Shad and JCG have a couple altercations that will bring them up to a strap match April 25th at Extreme Rules. Uh, Shad got himself a new intro song, some biker shorts, but JTG gets the win in a really short match, especially for something with a theme like a strap match over a tag team breakup. Shad bounces back with a win on Superstars over JTG, but May 14th, Shad would make his final TV appearance for WWE on SmackDown when he squashed Jesse Guyver. From there, it looks like he finished up in FCW working people like Bo Dallas, uh, Xavier Woods, and Tyler's favorite wrestler, Brodus Clay. Mm-hmm. The funk of fucking Saurus. Apparently, they were planning like a repackage and a monster hill push, but it just never happened. On November 19, 2010, he was released from his WWE contract. From here, it was back to the indie scene doing some shows before heading over to Japan. In February 2011, he worked for Inoki's Genome Federation, where he teamed with Bobby Lashley. And from here, Shad's wrestling dates get, like, random. There's not as many. He's, like, taking wrestling spots, but he's not, like, settling down in TNA for a run or, you know, anything like that. March 31st, 2012, he lost to Big Daddy V at WrestleRama in Georgetown, Ghana, which that's kind of cool. He wrestled Brian Cage in Arizona for IWF, but around June 2014, JTG had separated from WWE, so they reunited as Crime Time, but spelled normal. I think it was like one of the earliest wrestling memes for how long JTG stayed in WWE once Shad left. (laughs) It's like every yeah. time there was a round of firings, they'd be like, God damn, forgot JTG again. Either that or he didn't pick up the phone. <laughs> but again, no big long runs anywhere. They'd spend the next few years having a handful of matches per year against people like the Headbangers. Colt Cabana was in there. They did GCW's 2019 Greatest Clusterfuck Battle Royal. And they just grinded away on the indie scene until 2020 when things shut down. His last match was January 31st. Him and JTG beating Gino and Joe Alonzo at VIPX Wrestling's Killing the Business in Texas. The reason Shad's wrestling dates start getting so random and inconsistent is because he was dipping his toes into Hollywood in several different ways. I know he was working on screenplays. He knew what like the blacklist was for screenplays. That's taking it pretty serious. He got a callback as an actor for Young Rock. He was going to be Rocky Johnson right before the pandemic shut everything down. He did a good bit of film and TV, including a couple Key and Pill sketches. He was in 2015. Kevin Hart and Will Ferrell movie Get Hard, which also has a cameo from John Mayer in it. He did stunts in Adam Sandler's Sandy Wexler. He did motion capture for video games. He was Bane and Batman the Enemy Within and Kratos God of War. He was also patrolling the streets, dealing out some vigilante justice. On December 11th, 2016, following a show, JTG and Shad swung by a gas station in Coral Springs, Florida. Shad ran in to get something to drink when he was approached by an aggressive man asking him to buy a beer. The guy pulled a gun out and said he was going to rob the place. So Shad shoved the man, took away his gun, and restrained him until police arrived. (laughs) TMZ gave him some love for it, but just another example of Shad being a badass and heroic. And dude, do you see the video? 
He's yeah. just pushing the guy around like a bitch. Like he's and the guy has a gun. He, he's like <laughs> Shad, growing up the way that he did, saw that and he's like, "You're not gonna use that fucking thing. Get the fuck out of yeah. here." <laughs> Hard body Harrison told me to do this. <laughs> I fight for him. I fight for hard body. January, February, 2020, you started hearing all these rumblings about COVID. Maybe you saw the occasional person with a mask. By March 2020, may have noticed the world shut down. But unfortunately, that is not why January 31st was uh, Shad's last match. Shad married a fitness model in 2009. They had a son in April 2010. Let's jump to May 2020. Shad and his son were swimming in Venice Beach, California, when they were caught in a rip current. So some people get these confused with an undertow, which is a lot more gentle and like slowly pulls things out. A rip current is like a river moving through the ocean. And for even like hardcore swimmers, they can be a little tricky to get out of. These are responsible for most drownings on the beach. From what I gather, you kind of have two options in a rip current. You can try to swim out of the side of it, which could be a whole thing depending on how wide it is. Or you just got to let that shit sweep you out to sea. And once it releases you, you can like try to swim back or catch a boat or whatever. The knee-jerk reaction for most people is you think, oh shit, I'm getting drug out into the ocean, I gotta swim back towards the shore against the power of the current. That's when you get in trouble, you get fatigued, and you're just at the mercy of the sea at that point. This is the predicament Shad and his son found themselves in May 17, 2020. So a lifeguard saw Shad and his son fighting the rip current and being hit by between four and eight foot tall waves. Lifeguard made their way out to try to save him. When he approached him, Shad pushed his son towards the lifeguard, saying, save my son, save my son, before he was hit by another eight-foot wave. The lifeguard had this, you know, the plastic buoy thing they carry. It's called a rescue can. He tried to have the kid hang on to it, but due to the ocean conditions, they were so rough, and the kid was so tired from swimming in the rip current, he just, like, couldn't even hang on. That's when the lifeguard made the call to get Shad's son back to shore. It was save him or possibly lose them both. By this point, two surfers had headed towards Shad, but by the time they got to him, he was so disoriented, he was so exhausted, he couldn't even like reach up to get helped by them. And all they heard was him again saying, save my son, save my son, before the waves took him under one last time. There were several dive attempts to try to find Shad, including you know, Coast Guard. I know JTG, I believe John Morrison and Chris Masters showed up to help search for him. But on Wednesday, May 20th at 2.19 a.m., lifeguards responded to reports of a body that had washed up on Venice Beach shoreline. It was later confirmed to be Shad Gaspard, who had died saving his son. Shad was just 39 years old. Do y'all remember keeping up with this when it happened? Yeah. I remember just 2020 being so crazy that some stuff was just a blip, but this was, uh, this was pretty nuts to follow. Yeah, I remember hearing about it and just, it always seems like the best guys that yeah. die early. Ah, it's just so fucking sad. Yeah, I, you know, going through my own stuff at the time, I knew hearing the details would just make me even more sad, and I'm glad I waited till. Now, where I'm in a much better headspace in life, and even even still, like it's it's the saddest thing you'll ever hear. All right, so um, final thoughts on Shad. Shad was in a very interesting, we'll say, gimmick in WWE <laughs> that uh, that rose him to to prominence 
and it's so frustrating. It's a lot like the the Brody Lee frustration of him not getting to do what he wanted to do as a wrestler because of WWE. And Shad's in a, a similar spot. Him and JTG did with Crime Time what they were supposed to do. They got over and they were solid in the ring and they were charismatic and they, they sold merch if they ever had any out. And they had good spots with top name talent like DX and Cena and all these other people. And they just got fucked over and over and over. They were fired to prove a point. And they finally were done with WWE. And Shad was going to make his way in Hollywood one way or another. He had a, a lot of great credits already. Kratos' uh, yeah. mocap work and the possibility to be Young Rock. Like, he was getting looks to do major stuff. And I think he could have been probably one of the first people to come out of WWE and make it as a decent name in Hollywood without having been a top guy in WWE. But life, life's not fair all the time. And Shad's a great guy and stopped an armed robbery when that's not his job. He just knew it was the right thing to do in the moment. And he, he knew it was the right thing to, to him to save his son at the moment. And his son was the most important thing to him. And saving his son as his last act on this earth, I think, really is a testament to how, what kind of person Chad Gaspard was. And I'm very sad that he's gone so early, especially when he had all this potential just ready to go. Yeah, and, um, you know, in this wrestling world of kayfabe heroes and, and tough guys, Chad was as real as it possibly fucking gets. His passing is obviously as tragic as it, as it could possibly be. He did this like short podcast called No Fucks Given, and he mentioned that he came from such a rough area that he, he saw tons of his peers die before 21. And being from that area, he never thought he was going to live that long. So he always lived his life in a way that he enjoyed everything and he did as much cool shit as possible. And once he reached his 20s and like everything was okay, he never gave that mindset up. So whether it was like fighting or traveling or his time in WWE, he was acting, writing. He was always like in the moment, enjoying life. And obviously everyone wants him to be here another 50 years. But I think for the 39 he had, you know, he, he did it. And I think if you told him how he passed, he's going to pick that every time to save his son. But he leaves behind a legacy of a he was a fun wrestler. He was a badass fighter. I think one of the toughest pro wrestlers of all time. And most importantly, he's just an outright hero. Yeah. Um, I, I think you guys nailed it on, on all fronts. It's tough to follow that. That's probably like some of the best final thoughts we, we've ever had. And, and now here I'm going last and trying to come up to that. But yeah, he, he used every one of those years he had. I mean, you look back and it's an amazing career. And yes, it's also sad he didn't get to live more years. and get to do more work in Hollywood and get to do more stuff. And then who knows, he might've gone on and done something else and done something else. And we'll never know that, but we will know that he was an amazing father and a hero. And I, it's been said online many a times and I'll, I'll echo it again. You know, they have an award in WWE, the warrior award for courage and stuff like that. And it's named after a man who was who was not a hero, 
Actually, if I'm being honest, the guy was a piece of shit. If you're going to make an award and name it after somebody who was a hero and it's going to be in the world of professional wrestling, it should be after Shad. It's, it's as simple as that. I, I, nobody defines it better. And it was that, but also such a great person, a good friend. Anybody that knew him loved him. Simple as that. And he lived his last breath doing good and right for someone else. That's a hero. He's the definition.